Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast. I should say this special episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution creators of Fuse. Fuse is the insurance marketing software that skyrockets retention, boosts your policy per customer, and makes your clients love your agency without you having to hire more staff, programmers, or technologists if you haven't done it. Do yourself a favor, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo of the software agents and brokers are raving about today. All right, so I was kidding about this being a special episode, but we have a special guest. (laughs) It's me. Uh, So what I would like to share with you today are six lessons that I have learned from interviewing over 220 of the top industry leaders, thought leaders, CEOs, analysts, uh, advisors, uh, super successful agents, journalists, startups, funders, networks, marketers, and more. So indeed, in fact, um, we are, it would seem, uh, approaching, I think we're about two or three or four months away from six years. I've uh, now interviewed over 225 uh, of the top movers and shakers in this industry. And gosh and gollies, I should be able to discern some lessons from that, and I did. So I'll give you a little bit of background on this. Our mastermind group met last June, and in preparation for that, um, I did exactly what we're talking about. I reviewed transcripts. I reviewed my own thoughts, my own notes, my own ruminations about what this podcast, what has it said? What have these over 200 brilliant people said about this industry and what should the leaders of independent insurance agencies and the leaders of this industry, what should you really pay attention to? No doubt. You've listened to more than one of these podcasts, but you probably haven't listened to 225 of them. I have. And and to some extent, that's my job. It's to ask questions on your behalf and then to listen and to discern what the lessons are, what the trends are, what the forces are that are impacting this industry. So I'd mentioned I, I prepared for a mastermind meeting um, by considering these issues and ended up with uh, ultimately designed what uh, was roughly a three hour workshop. You're not going to get three hours. Uh, However, that being said, I did prepare a little bit of a toolkit that goes along with this, um, a a slideshow, and some tools which um, helped uh, the members of the Mastermind Group think through uh, their agency uh, or corporate response to the kind of um, trends and forces that my guests said, these are important, pay attention to them. If you'd like uh, a copy of the toolkit, reach out to me. I'll get it to you. Um, Find me on LinkedIn. 
I'm a little bit behind right now because I've been, um, well, we had a mastermind meeting two weeks ago and then I took last week off. So I'm a little bit behind, but if you reach out to me, I will get to you as soon as possible. Find me on LinkedIn or email me at michael at michaeljans.com and, and tell me you want the podcast toolkit, something like that. I'll get that for you. So in looking back, who, in fact, have I interviewed? Well, the three CEOs of the major national trade associations, the PIA, the Big I, the Council, 12 CEOs of major national tech providers, including the CEOs of uh, the two largest, Vertifor uh, and Applied, the two largest in our industry, 11 advisory uh, representatives and researchers like Bain, J.D. Power, IBM, IATA, and so on and so forth, 31 founders and CEOs of InsureTechs, seven InsureTech thought leaders, conference founders, journalists, three major trade publications and journalists, uh, 17 professional marketers, 21 fast growth agency principals, Uh, Nine outside the industry thought leaders uh, who spoke on topics like leadership, remote work strategy, seven industry experts and specialists like economists, um, legal experts, uh, best practice um, uh, researchers, and many, many more. (laughs) Now, admittedly. So out out of those conversations, I wanted to find like the plums. Now, admittedly, you know me probably. I have a bias. Other people could have listened to the same 225 or 230 podcasts now and identified six different lessons. I've got a bias, and you probably know what it is. Organic growth. I'm a marketing and strategy guy, uh, particularly as it impacts the independent insurance agencies and insurtechs and companies that serve and service independent insurance agencies. That's my bias. And... I generally have a bit of a time frame bias. I'm I'm less interested in sort of the small tactical initiatives that might get you a few more Facebook likes and really much more interested in what you need to do now to thrive in the next uh, 12, 24, and 36 months. Tends to be the time frame that I focus the podcast on. So those lessons, the lessons that Michael Jans pulled out of this. Um, it, it's almost as if there there was a Christmas tree just overwhelmingly full of presents. I found six that I thought were of extreme value. And uh, I categorized them as one, strategy, two, technology, three, your customer, four, uh, systems, five, marketing and innovation, and six, speed. And I'm going to go through each one of them one at a time. If this requires more than one podcast, I'm going to keep an eye on the time. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, If it doesn't, I'm going to try to get it all done um, in one conversation. Strategy is number one. And the way I phrase this is strategy first, tactics second. I'll uh, share with you a story. I may have, you may have heard me share this before. I've got a friend in the industry. You may or may not know him, Bill Hartnett. Bill is also the navigator on um, racing uh, sailing ships. And I think there are 11 people perhaps on the ship. And um, of those, I think, as I understand, 10 of them are um, performing manual labor. They're doing something physical, uh, pulling on ropes and and things like that. Uh, But there's one guy who determines um, in order to get from here to there, 
with uh, storms and um, currents and rocky shoals and um, you know all, all of the possible things that can actually help you if you're moving with the trend, let's say the wind, or absolutely uh, you know put you in last place regardless of how hard the the other ten guys are working. That guy is Bill Hartnett. He's the navigator. To some extent, um, the so so no matter if he puts you in the wrong place, the other ten guys can they they could be you know ten or twenty percent stronger than everybody else that's racing. It's not going to matter. Ultimately, the big decisions about where you're going to go and how you're going to win that's what strategy is all about. And then the tactics are designed to execute upon that strategy. I think it's possible that one could reasonably argue that once upon a time. Strategy was less important for agents than it is now. Strategy, uh, uh, agents to some extent, one could argue, were strategy. Agents didn't exist a long, long time ago, and carriers had the naughty problem. How are we going to win? The naughty problem of how are we going to sell and distribute our product? Well, they invented this class of business called the insurance agent. And agents were a part of their strategy. And then uh, to some extent, what we saw, um, in, let's say in the recent decades, um, in uh, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, uh, the, the, really the strategy was excellence as agents um, began, uh, uh, ran better and better businesses and then merged and acquired and became bigger businesses. They could dominate the marketplace of their choice. Uh, now, one could argue that um, those agents, a little bit of a misnomer now, I realize that, 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 think about this, that the term agent means you get your authority from somewhere else. You get your authority from a higher power. Well, really, um, the agencies are substantial businesses and the, uh, locus of control has, um, moved more and more toward the agency and the responsibility for strategy now more and more lies with the principals and leaders of the independent insurance agency who must make the few big decisions that guide the other 10,000 smaller decisions. Richard Rumalt said, good strategy works by focusing energy and resources on one or a very few pivotal pivotal objectives whose accomplishment will lead to a cascade of favorable outcome. The leader of a business, the savvy leader of a business thinks about that. What are the few things where when I put uh, a focused attention and resources, what, what are those areas where we will um, be because of those major decisions we will have this promise of a cascade of favorable outcomes. One way to look at strategy, uh, I think, is summed up very well in uh, Cynthia Montgomery's book. She's the Timken professor at Harvard Business School, teaching real live entrepreneurs with really fairly substantial businesses. Um, in her book, um, uh, The Strategist, Be the Leader Your Business Needs, she asks the question, does your company matter? In other words, if your agency went away, would that be more than a minor inconvenience, but would it be a great loss? That's a core question for strategy. Um, strategy really forces us to ask a, a number of questions, but I think at the very core of them, there are two of them. Where are we going to play and how are we going to win? And um, I, I think uh, where I've seen agencies 
scale. Indeed, their execution is always above average, but their ability to answer those questions, where are we going to play and how are we going to win, um, is um, uh, that they do in a manner that's uh, thoughtful, um, analytical. Um, perhaps uh, they do it with um, sort of cold, clear analysis of of what the trends are so that like Bill Hartnett with his ship, he can make sure the leader can make sure you could make sure that you're in the right place at the right time. And you're answering the questions, where are we going to play and how are we going to win? Well, we need more of that in times of turbulence, which is, I think, uh, something we'd all agree. Um, the industry is in now a time of great change and in times of stiff competition, so when you look at the strategic considerations that are important to the independent insurance agency, I'll list five of them that are, that, um, uh, are at least a starting point for a serious conversation that you should probably have with yourself and you should probably have with the key leaders within your organization. Number one are changes in consumer behavior. Boom. It's not, you know, if you're, for example, if you're a boomer, an older um, agency principal, this is not the world we were operating in before. Uh, now we're um, dealing with emerging generations of digital natives with new expectations. Consumers are trained to expect more from uh, other industries. And the locus of power is swinging more and more to the consumer. They have more tools and more choices, access to more information. And... There is a certainly some move, as there is in so many other industries, there's some move for more self-service. So that's number one, is changes in consumer behavior. Number two, an influx of technology, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a moment. But there are changes in technology at the carrier and the wholesale level, at the retail level. Some of them are friendly. Some of them are unfriendly. And they affect both uh, front office and back office. Number three is that there are significant changes at the carrier level, as we see in that part of the industry, continued consolidation and concentration of market share. Number four is we're addressing an accelerating speed of change itself. And number five, there's certainly challenges in uh, the issue of talent recruitment and talent retention. So um, I will give uh, a few suggestions about strategic responses to some of those strategic challenges, the knotty problems of strategy. In terms of where we're going to play, well, the first thing uh, I would suggest is with those who prefer the agency channel. If you run an independent insurance agency and you look at the great unwashed marketplace, not everybody is the same. Not everybody has the same values. Not everybody has the same interests or needs. There are um, great swaths of the marketplace who probably feel that they're perfectly well served by the direct channel or perfectly well served by the captive channel uh, or perfectly well served uh, in some cases by the insure tech channel. So who is it that is best suited for the independent agency channel. It's worthy of, of considerable thought and and um, can have it's it's a question that it can have major implications on your future. Well, certainly, 
um, those that prefer this channel, a, a lean up market. They lean asset rich. Uh, J.D. Powers has demonstrated that, in fact, uh, it does seem to be all generations, that there are those, uh, even in the younger generations, that are well-suited for this channel. They are not price shoppers. Uh, of course, we know that commercial lines is uh, generally considered to be a safe harbor for the independent agency channel, and that's one of the reasons why we continue to dominate it. But uh, I'll also uh, point out or remind you that we're not suffering in personal lines. Uh, our personal lines market share has had st uh, held steady for a decade or more against considerable competition. Well-funded, smart, savvy competition. And yet, while the captive channels suffered there, the independent agency channels done fairly well. Um, and then, of course, those who don't value this channel have no business being your customers. If you lean up market, number one, you'll tend to be safer from future automation where automation can replace the role of the agent and it's going to tend to get better customers. Uh, also, niches and micro niches that are available to the independent agency channel can be an excellent place to play. Now, how are you going to win? Well, by creating relationship, not by selling a commodity. That's what we do well. Um, an analysis of all of the eight, uh, all of the insurance distribution channels will reveal quickly that we're not the cheap channel, nor should we be. We're not selling a commodity. We want to create relationship, deliver an extraordinary experience, guide people to deeper relationship on the subject that, you know, there's a subjective side to that, which means that the, uh, that your customer feels loyal. They feel that they can trust you. And objectively, deeper relationship also means multiple sales per customer. Uh, how, uh, how are we going to win? Also add value at the agency level. Uh, yes, the, um, the term agent. I don't think it's the best world, uh, word to describe um, our channel, but there's really nothing I can do about it anymore. Um, we are not merely, those, those who excel, those who dominate a marketplace, those who scale, they're not just selling. They're adding value at the retail level. At the, at the level in which you exist, you add value. You're not just selling a product and distributing it. I remember a, this was a report from Deloitte that came out some years ago where it was reported that 60% of small commercial um, business owners didn't feel that the independent agent added any value other than just shopping. It's no, that's no longer sufficient. And then, of course, um, wherever we can perform affinity marketing, where we, where, where we can really uh, dominate a, a market. It generally comes because we understand it, we pay attention to it, we can provide leadership and thought leadership in that marketplace. So strategy first, tactic second. Trend or lesson number two, tech, technology. Technology is upstream of everything. Technologies that are created change culture, influence politics, and they certainly influence business. Um, in, in the history of the human species, there are a couple of technologies that, that changed everything. One was 
the opposable thumb. And another one was the um, mastery of fire. Those two quote-unquote technologies, yes, very basic, very primary, and then en- ended up cr- changing everything. They were upstream of, when we look at the world right now, obviously a very dominant species. Um, the difficult part is that um, while we know tech is upstream of everything, it has a weird cascade. It has what I call a weird cascade, kind of like chaos theory. It's a little bit difficult to, to uh, interpret exactly how it's going to affect the world. So, for example, when Facebook first came out, we thought it was just a delightful way to stay in touch with everybody. We certainly didn't predict the massive impact that it would have on contemporary culture and contemporary politics and, and uh, perhaps the polarization of contemporary culture. And yet we know that technology changes things. Um, last year, venture capital invested just about $16 billion in InsureTech. InsureTech funding was up 90% from the previous year. And the number of deals were up by 21%. The um, largest, I think this is probably the largest conference in our industry. I, you know, once upon a time, think about this. There, there's, there's some meaning to this story. Uh, I've been in the industry for a while. Uh, once upon a time, if you wanted to see a whole lot of insurance people gathered together under one roof, you'd go to the national convention for the big I or the PIA. And then it really became, if you want to see that many people, you'd go to the technology conferences. And now, of course, uh, I think InsureTech Connect is probably the largest conference in the industry. Over 30,000 people have attended, and it's a relatively new phenomena. 75,000 meetings have been facilitated between industry partners. People from over 100 companies have attended that conference. So while tech is of uh, fundamental importance to your business, uh, both the tech that 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 you choose to purchase and the tech that you uh, that that um, is um, evident in the industry and changing the industry that you don't purchase. um, Well, here's a here's a little story. I remember uh, years ago when I was the CEO of Agency Revolution. Um, one of my, uh, one of my salespeople came to me with a fairly remarkable insight, having spoken to hundreds and hundreds of agents, uh, by this point in time, we had tweaked our sales system as you generally do in an insure tech or any technology company, tweaking the compensation model, the base, the commission, the incentives, um, the, 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 the manner in which marketing feeds, marketing qualified leads to the sales team so that they can become SQLs or sales qualified leads and on and on. Okay. So finally, we're starting to get a little bit of traction. And he said to me, you know, we built a really strong selling system, but the people that I talk to day in and day out have really weak buying systems for technology. I think today that's simply no longer acceptable. Uh, I'm going to suggest very quickly to you now, 
a six-step process for purchasing technology in the modern age of insurance. Number one, <clears throat> you need a system to know what's out there, so you've got to make some determinations about how you're going to scan the landscape. Um, number two, now you need a system to categorize and organize all the chaos that's out there. Uh, I suggest starting at the, at the sort of broadest level of categorization or organization, separating front office stuff. In other words, the kind of technologies that allow you to uh, reach out and communicate with the marketplace. Agency revolution is an obvious example of that from back office. And then get very clear on what kind of problems we want to solve. And here's how you think of a problem in technology. I'll, again, I'll use agency revolution as an example. Let's say you have a, a retention of 88% and you want it to be higher. Let's say you want it to be 93%. Maybe you ran it through my customer lifetime extender and you saw, oh my goodness, that's how much that's worth to me. So boom, you got a five point problem. That's a problem. Now you're going to begin to scan the world for vendors who provide solutions to that problem. But there's one thing that comes first that fits in a category, uh, section two. Step two, uh, as you're categorizing and organizing this chaos of all the technology that's out there, you really need to know like where your sweet spot is on the bell curve of acquiring technology. I will make a suggestion. Um, you may have seen the uh, tech bell curve that identifies um, the innovators at the very, very beginning and the early adopters that kind of come in after them, and then the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards at the very, very end. And typically, the distribution is seen as out of 100%, 2.5% are innovators, and 13.5% are early adopters, and then 34% are early majority, 34% late majority, and 16% are laggards. Uh, so working backwards, if you're serious about technology, that like the laggards or the skeptics, that's just too late. Uh, they're resisting uh, what's already uh, known to work and may actually already be on its decline. The late majority, that's awfully late. Pragmatists, okay, now we're starting to, you know, they're purchasing technologies that are known and that are proven. The early adopters, uh, they're not the innovators, but the early adopters, you know, about 13, 14% of the marketplace, uh, they're taking some risk and the innovators are really taking quite a bit of risk. Um, I, I, and I know what it's like being on the other side selling, right? So the innovators are, are hoping every piece of technology is going to 10x their business. The early adopters tend to be a little bit more realistic There's, and, and generally they're uh, willing to purchase uh, technologies that um, have a, a little bit of proof behind them. Uh, my suggestion is early uh, is better than late. And if you're an innovator, simply recognize that you're, um, you're engaging quickly and you're taking some risk along with that. Step number three. All right, so now we know all the stuff that's out there. We have some broad categorizations. Uh, I've identified a problem that I want to solve in my agency, so now we need to uh, have a system to evaluate and compare competitors. Uh, by the way, this uh, I, as this system, this six-step system, comes from my asking people that are in technology in this podcast over and over and over again, 
What would you say to independent agency principals who want to buy technology? How should they go about it? And I just, I asked that question. You probably heard me ask it a lot. Well, out of all of those answers, I designed this system. So number three is we've got to evaluate the competitors. And you want to look for things like, obviously, a side-by-side comparison of features, but also not just features in the technology, but also features in the company. So what kind of support do they provide their customers for onboarding, which is at the very beginning, ongoing, which is after the very beginning, and then professional services, which are additional services that you can purchase to uh, support your initiative. Of course, having some sense of the financial strength of the, of the technology or the company behind the technology can help. A cultural fit between your business and their business. And then I would also look at peer reviews. Number four, step number four, is uh, you need a system to select or not select a solution. So once you go through this step three evaluation, uh, ideally, you've got people on your team, not just you, but the people are actually going to be touching the technology involved and uh, assisting you and then be realistic about a cost-benefit evaluation. Have some sense of what you expect to get out of it. If the problem is a five-point um, deficit in your retention and you want to improve on that, you should have some sense of what it takes to solve the problem because... <laughs> just buying it doesn't do it, which gets down to step number five is you need a system to adopt it. You actually have to use it. And ultimately that gets us to step number six, which is a system to gain mastery over it. So you need to bring it in. And there's always, that's always a little bit of a painful period. But at some point then, once you've uh, figured out how to, um, how to play scales, boom, now it's time to play some music. So you need a system to gain some mastery. So you find the point <laughs> where <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, it's not uncommon that a technology will have features you don't care about, features you don't need. Um, so you want to find the point of diminishing returns and you want to, want to identify the features that are of the greatest value to you. And then eventually uh, you need to continue to review it and renew it or replace it. That gets us to lesson number three, the customer. And as I say it, the money is in the relationship. And this is generally true um, across industries, but I'm not here to talk about any other industry. Okay, this one only. Something that we've seen to be absolutely true, uh, supported by statistical, empirical, analytical research from guests on this show. The money's in the relationship, and the deeper the relationship, the greater the reward. Uh, I'll share with you an axiom from the marketing industry, which goes like this. The beginning marketer thinks the money is in the thing. So in other words, oh, man, that, uh, that uh, email, it really killed for you. I need that email or that landing page or that postcard or that new nifty thing on my website. The beginning marketer thinks the money is in the thing. The intermediate marketer thinks the money is in the list that gets the thing. Now, that is a big breakthrough. It's a breakthrough for marketers. It's certainly a breakthrough for insurance agencies, understanding that, uh, you know, to the extent the thing is something that stands between you and the marketplace, a point of communication between you and the marketplace, the list 
that sees the thing really, really matters. I, I remember, this is over 10 years ago, when I was, I was doing a 90-minute workshop on list management for insurance agents. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Um, but certainly there are lists. I, I, I've got clients who are making a lot of money off of good list management, like the list of lost leads, the list of past customers, obviously the list of customers. And it's also a really strong argument for niche marketing. But now we get to the third part. The advanced marketer knows that the money is in the relationship to the list that gets the thing. Bingo. The ultimate argument for long-term relationships and keenly investing in those relationships. So let's say you've got uh, uh, two a agency A and agency B. Boom. They got the same thing. Let's say it's an email marketing campaign that they borrowed or stole or <laughs> swiped from a colleague. Okay. Maybe it was in their mastermind group. Uh, so that's the thing. And they went to the same list. Uh, let's say it's an upsell campaign. I'm going to go to my customer list. Okay. But agency A gets an 11.7% response and agency B gets a 3.2% response. And he's going, what, you know, what, what happened here? I sent out the, the exact same thing. Yeah. You sent out the thing and you kind of sent it out to the same list, a customer list, but agency A had deeper, stronger, emotional bonds and relationship with the list. Something that Bain Gosh, their research is really good. And if I, I'm going to suggest you go back and, and listen to my interview with um, Darcy Darnell at Bain. Um, they really understand um, how uh, customers are motivated and how their behavior is motivated by their values. Well, something they determined was that the highly loyal insurance client measured by a net promoter score of uh, nine or a 10 delivers three times the value of a mid-loyal client. In other words, somebody with an NPS score of seven or an eight and seven times the value of a low loyalty client, uh, somebody with a score of zero to six, boom. So that's not like 7% better, which is worth paying attention to. Uh, it's not 70% better, 700% better. How is that possible? Because they buy 25% more insurance. They refer 2.5 people as opposed to one from the mid-loyal group, and they retain at 97%. Boom. So add on top of that uh, good marketing that earns trust, that cross-sells, that generates reviews, <clears throat> generates referrals, the money's in the relationship. So simple steps. Number, I'm going to give you three. Number one, pursue a market that, that inherently values the relationship of the agency system. That is such an important issue. Customer selection is so fundamental to the health of your business a year from now and 10 years from now and forever and in your valuation. And yet, I see so many people making sloppy, weak decisions about that. Don't fall. Don't, 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 don't. Don't be lackadaisical about customer selection. So that's rule number one. Start there. <laughs> rule number two, if you skip the step, start over. <laughs> okay. Leave the other ones behind like the price shoppers. 
let somebody else get them. So step number one, <clears throat> pursue a market that inherently values the relationship of the agency system. Step number two, earn their loyalty. Okay, Add value. Be a persistently positive presence in their lives. Innovate. Deliver a satisfying customer journey. And number three, install marketing systems that automatically do that for you to help you extract value by cross-selling and generating referrals and reviews and nurturing the relationship. And that gets us to lesson number four from my podcast guests, which is about systems. And the way I put it is this. Agents sell. Insurepreneurs build systems that sell. Um, here's a really super quick uh, historical overview of the independent agency system. Boom. Uh, whenever that was, 1792 or um, coffee at uh, Lloyd's Coffee Shop or whatever. Uh, way back, um, the, <clears throat> the carrier invented invented the agent. Agent didn't exist. We need somebody to sell. And so the locus of power really rested with the carrier for a long, long time. Um, I would say until about 20 years after World War II, but it was really, it was uh, World War II and what was happening during that point in time in the economy and in business and shortly thereafter that really caused this to happen. Uh, which is when we saw um, a, uh, uh, an, an elevation in the quality of management technique, not, just, not in our industry, but, uh, you know, at, at first, you know, it was people like W. Edward Deming and Peter Drucker and advisors like that who advised, um, well, of course, Japanese corporations. Deming is famous for that, but also, uh, you know, the Fortune 500 and the Fortune 1000 companies delivering to them um, insight. It became a profession to study business and to understand what works well in business and then uh, to provide insight and observations to the leaders of business. Um, well, what we saw happen, of course, was the fastest growing economy in the history of the world, post-World War II, United States. And then we also saw not only the growth of major corporations, but we saw small and medium businesses mature and become more sophisticated. Well, it was during that period in our industry, let's say the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, where um, agents became agencies and became legitimate businesses. We saw them grow, consolidate, adopt professional uh, management um, and uh, contemporary technologies. Uh, we saw um, the industry as a whole um, uh, uh, support education, support regulations, support licensing, develop standards and best practices. But we couldn't always control it. The locus of power then shifted over to the agency. And by the way, you may not be aware of this, but during that period, particularly in the 90s, we saw about 10, 10 cents of the insurance dollar flow from the carrier to the agency. That's huge, I know. We all thought we were geniuses, but macroeconomic forces were in our favor. But we couldn't maintain that locus of power. Things changed and technologies were introduced with the internet 
and consumers got more choices, access to infinite information, to online reviews and quotes and, and, and ways to find out, hey, does anybody, you know, what do you know about this agency? And you get 100 answers on your Facebook page. Um, so now we have a, uh, a, a we're, we're in a time where the locus of power has really begun to shift toward the modern consumer. So we've gone from the age of the agent to the age of the agency to the age of the modern agency. And, uh, and the industry's changed a lot. You know, during that second period, the age of the agency, we saw consolidation. Uh, and we, so we saw 80,000 independent insurance agencies become 40,000 independent insurance agencies. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what's the impact on that now? Um, it's possible. Uh, in times of turbulence, we do we tend to see interesting things happen. One is consolidation. So clearly, we're seeing we're seeing the big get bigger. I mean, go take a look at the um, insurance journal top 100 agencies. They're huge, right? And and they're being consolidated. Uh, in this case, not just with local money, but or not just with bank loans when you were able to get them. That was that was an interesting thing back in the 90s. But private equity money, see huge consolidation. Uh, it's also possible that we'll see a, an awful lot, particularly if we enter into a recession, we'll see a lot of small startups again. So we might still continue to have 40,000. The composition will change. Um, if, uh, if I were to categorize, organize every client that I've ever worked with in this industry, and there have been thousands, at the very, very, very tippy, tippy top, uh, were those who essentially, and this is regardless, coast to coast, personal lines, commercial lines, those who would able to say something like, quote, I haven't sold an insurance policy in 20 years. Boom. In other words, they weren't there about the sale. They were there about, they were the insurerpreneur who was there to build systems that sold. Because product, production tops out. That's a common problem in my level five model. Uh, level one <clears throat> tends to be where uh, uh, where um, I'll give you an example of a you know of a client of mine with a million dollar book of business. He's the only producer. He's got a great support staff of top level professionals, four, five, six of them, and he's topped out. Production always tops out. Leadership, however, does not, and that's the challenge for the insurerpreneur. Um, item number five, of course, this is going to show up in a Michael Jan's analysis of 220 podcasts. Um, marketing, and, and, and I'm absolutely stealing with full credit a quote from Peter Drucker who said, marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. So again, I've got an organic growth bias. So if growth is important to you, uh, here's, here's a sort of a three-step prescription. You got to put marketing and innovation like right there, right up front. And, 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 and think about this. They have to be done well, but all the other stuff, they're costs. So number one uh, on my model. 
Number one, organize your marketing. And most um, most uh, independent insurance agency principals, in fact, most insure tech CEOs, they're not marketers by trade, by profession. And so we need a, uh, a logical, clear way to think about that. My model is the four-stage ACOR model where we uh, examine the marketing of, uh, of um, an agency or a business in uh, four stages, how you attract. It's ACOR, ACOR four stage. Attract leads into the funnel. And then C, convert those prospects into buyers. And then O, optimize those buyers and turn them into clients by creating richer and deeper relationships. And then four, R, retain them as long as possible, turn them into promoters, ideally. They will then send you more referrals. And so you've got to, and so you can look at your marketing. You can look at each each of those four stages and you can I, begin to uh, identify what's working and what's not working. And then you can go from the most basic questions to um, more sophisticated analytical questions. What's my cost per lead? What's my cost per sale? What's the best source of my customers? Uh, what, uh, what advertising uh, is uh, delivering the best uh, customers? And you know, then you can begin to do sophisticated things like genuine A-B split testing and so on and so forth. But step number one, organize your marketing. Um, step number two, now prioritize your progress. Okay, so I've got to give a very, very quick overview of the, my five-stage model. So essentially what happens is you move up from level one to level two, level three, level four, and level five is you're... Um, adding some new skills and some new capabilities that um, allow you to create deeper and stronger relationships with your customers and then ultimately deeper and stronger relationships with the marketplace and deliver to them a customer journey. And then ultimately you get up to level number five and you, and you innovate the insurance experience so that you earn a quasi monopoly and you get own and dominate a marketplace. That's, it's, it's having a path and plan that's clearly laid out in front of you so that you know quarter by quarter, you're just going to keep getting better and your business is going to keep getting better. And then number six, I've got my recommendation on accelerators, which is when the agency principal makes a commitment to organic growth. So hence, they make a commitment to training and gaining training in the critical areas of organic growth. Uh, accountability. So they make commitments and they hold themselves accountable to perhaps a mastermind group uh, where you network with others who are willing to uh, support your success and you support their success and you share ideas with each other where you can gain access to some coaching. And then ultimately, perhaps um, you can earn a spot where you can mentor others. And I think those of us who have done this before, you where you have mentored you know that sometimes the greatest beneficiary of mentoring is the mentor himself or herself. And then you've got to, you have to, at, at some point, uh, Drucker referred to marketing and innovation. Innovation is, it's a little bit, it, it's, while it's not hard, it's a little bit unusual in, uh, in an industry that has a, an historical track record of being a pass-through. But that's, once you start innovating, you're no longer a pass-through. You're delivering an experience that nobody can get 
anywhere else. So though uh, the options for innovation can be in the product. So obviously if you're an insure tech, well, you, you start with innovation. You kind of start at level five, right? Talk about, more about that later. Um, but also if you are an agent and you've got a, um, a niche market, you may also be able to negotiate with carriers to provide um, innovation and program specialties that they can't get anywhere else. You can innovate the customer experience. You can innovate the uh, value add that um, the customer gets that's beyond the product itself, and you can innovate in thought leadership. And this gets us to item number six, which is speed, speed itself, the new speed of insurance. So I'll tell you a little story about that. <laughs> so th this does go back a ways uh, when I was, um, not just when I was the CEO of uh, an insure tech, but uh, in my first, uh, in, at the very beginning. So I honestly, I think we're going back to about, oh, well, probably 11 or 12 years, certainly 10. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yet naturally I was looking for carrier partnerships in addition to individual sales, but I was hoping that we could find some carriers who would um, support a product that demonstrated that it can strengthen the relationship that an agency has with its customer base and generate more sales. So uh, I'm not gonna name any names, but um, I had um, numerous meetings um, with the C-suite, CEO, COO. I can't remember who else was in that room, half a dozen carrier executives. And uh, clearly, uh, when we demoed the product, even back then, they'd never seen anything like it. They saw the potential of it and uh, delegated that to um, a, a, an appropriate division to negotiate a relationship with us. Oh, my goodness. I think it was six, 12 months later. It's, uh, I, I've lost track of time. <laughs> um, the, the I said, you know, I, I, I said to my, my liaison at the, at, the, at the insurance carrier, hey, I, I thought we had a thing here. Um, and yet, ha how come we don't have a, we don't have a contract yet? And his response was, and in his defense, as frustrated as I was, Michael, we operated insurance speed, not internet speed. I had a similar situation with another major carrier uh, made a presentation to the president of the company um, and uh, uh, and and her response was <clears throat> I want to see a proposal for a hundred for 50 to 100 of these things six months later Michael our legal department said it's best we don't be perceived as endorsing vendors we don't control <laughs> so um, that was a point when things were just beginning uh, technology was really just beginning to emerge uh, to innovate the insurance experience. But in general, carriers were, carriers were carriers. Now, even carriers are racing to be fast. Uh, I recall a conversation, and I'm trying to think if it was in this podcast or if it was recorded or not, um, with um, one of the major advisories. 
and their finding after surveying 12,000 carrier executives was that of all of the um, trends and forces that were like most pressing in the C-suite and the boardroom, um, the, the, the single most identified concern. It's not surprising now, but it's shocking if you go back 10 years, let's say, or even five, was innovation, the need to innovate. This is not an industry that's been widely known for innovation. It's been, and it's served the global economy well with, with stability and surety, um, you know, uh, but now <clears throat> they're racing for change. Um, as it indicated uh, earlier, last year, venture capital put about $16 billion into insurance technology. Well, guess where it went? 66% of that $16 billion went to property and casualty. And it was roughly evenly divided, 47% for personal lines and the balance for middle market and small commercial lines. Um, and... <clears throat> Um, if you identified um, the, uh, if you carved it up this way, uh, whether or not it went to claims management, marketing and distribution, policy administration, pricing and underwriting, uh, product design and development, far and away, um, the largest investments from venture capital were in marketing and distribution. So put that together. If property and casualty, Marketing and distribution. Gosh, that sounds like the business that you're probably in, right? Um, things are changing really very, very rapidly. Um, McKinsey said, across the insurance value chain, the strongest insurtech presence has been felt in marketing and distribution, with a number of insurtechs gaining footholds in investment and partnerships with traditional insurers. Um I think uh, I, I, it, it's fair to say for a lot of agencies, not all, but a lot, <laughs> um, there's, there's some pride in um, having an agency that's got a kind of a friendly family culture where people feel welcome. How does that contrast? How, do, how, how does that... How does that stand up in an environment that's, that demands a certain amount of urgency? Um, when urgency was a critical issue for me, the, the guy I really paid attention to was John Cotter. Um, I wrote, I think he's written a lot of books, including the book, I, I think it's called Urgency or Urgent. I highly recommend it. Um, I have a list of 11 things that demonstrate where complacency takes root. So complacency is the enemy of urgency. Complacency is the enemy of speed. Um, and I've just, I've seen far too many examples where in an agency, um, you know, Tuesday's like Monday and Wednesday's like Tuesday and Thursday's like Wednesday. And this, and, and, and one week is like the last week and one month is like the last month and then one year is like the last year and gosh and gollies the world has changed but we really didn't well we're living in a world that demands us to be current demands us to be in touch with the world 
you shouldn't move probably faster than the world is moving, but the ideal is to move at the same pace so that you're present with your customers where they are right now. I have a list of 11. I'm going to wind this up with a list of 11 ways that complacency takes root in a business. Number one, the absence of a visible crisis or earnestness about impending change. It's the job of the agency principal to communicate to the team, to interpret for the team where the world is going, the pace in which the world is going there, and, and the manner in which that affects the business. I see far too agency principals really delivering that message and then creating a game plan and gaining support from the team in that, in that model. Number two, satisfaction with mediocrity, like letting it slide or kind of comfort with the status quo, preferring not to have confrontation and so on and so forth. Number three, <coughs> I, don't, I don't see this one show up as much, though uh, I'm a little concerned about some short that this may impact some insure techs more than agencies. Number three, excessive visible resources without clarity, the plan to continue such resources. Okay, so if people think, hey, we're rich and there is not a clear plan on the deployment of those resources, um, that tends to foster some complacency. Number four, low performance standards with minimal consequences. Look, you know that that one's common. I've seen just countless incidences where there really are no performance standards and the consequences are, they're not just negligible, they're non-existent. Number five, uh, performance standards and incentives that reward non-critical behavior. <clears throat> okay, that's, we, we all from time to time need to reevaluate the incentives that we've got. Uh, to determine that they are addressing those things that are most important. Number six, excessive personal risk associated with risk-taking or fear of failure. So that's a cultural problem. If people feel that it's, uh, that they could um, suffer, you know, excessive personal risk, even if it's just embarrassment um, uh, when risks are take, taken, uh, they'll shy away from that. Uh, number seven, lack of candor and confrontation about performance. Number eight, absence or minimal communication about threats and opportunities, trends, and strategic initiatives. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, um, I think that that conversation, where's the world going? Where are we going to play and how are we going to win? That's really what it comes down to, right? I mean, um, <clears throat> there, there may be more coaching and guidance in a 60-minute football game or a 48-minute basketball game than there is in a year's worth of some insurance agencies. This that, And so that conversation, it's not, hey, I had one staff meeting, we talked about it. No, it's really kind of like almost every staff meeting. Number nine, excessive focus on the positive without presenting and discussing a balanced view of friendly and unfriendly forces. Uh, number 10, Lack of commitment to new capabilities throughout the team. So this kind of comes down to like my level five model. Um, what I encourage my clients to do is to identify like where they are. OK, 
okay, uh, you know, we're a level two agency, but we want to have stronger, deeper relationships with our customers. So we want to be a level three agency. So our retention's up, our referrals are up, our accounts per customer uh, are up. Okay, so boom, if we're re- like really clear, not emotional about where we are, then we can make decisions about what new capabilities do we need to add in order to get to that next level. And number 11, uh, the negative side of a stable industry, we've always been here, so we'll always be here. Ignorance or forgetfulness of previous challenges and fights or too much fun family atmosphere to generate a competitive spirit. So um, I will sum this up. These These are not all my ideas. It's, it's my job to synthesize. It's kind of what I have always done for a living is to, excuse me, pay attention to um, the trends and forces uh, that seem to be affecting the, the very world that we live in, um, find solutions, um, marketing strategy, technology, or otherwise, and synthesize this and, and attempt to bring this to my audience in a logical, sensible way. Um, but admittedly, I listened to 220 or when I, when I originally created this, 225 maybe um, conversations with really very, very smart people. I brought my bias in. Again, my bias, organic growth, and it tends to be uh, near to midterm future. <clears throat> okay. You're, it, from, yes, from time to time, I'm going to interview um, a super successful agent, and he might share something that like he's doing right now, and you should just go ahead and do it next week. But uh, I also really want you, because I know it's the, it's the leader's job to make sure you are thriving 12, 24, and 36 months from now. But out of all those conversations, these six areas, I feel, really demand your attention as a leader, One, strategy, where you put strategy first and tactics second, because your strategic decisions will affect every other thing that you do. But they'll also, if you make a good strategic decision, your tactics just simply work so much better. Number two, technology, recognizing that technology is upstream of everything and your response to it, particularly when there's as much chaos and confusion around it is uh, is fundamental to putting technology to use in your business for growth and avoiding mistakes. Number three, the customer relationship, recognizing that the money's in the relationship. Number four, systems, recognizing that agents sell, insurepreneurs build systems that sell. Number five, marketing and innovation, recognizing that, as Peter Drucker said, marketing and innovation produce results all the rest are costs. And number six, speed, understanding that this is not the speed of the 90s. It's not the speed of the aughts. It's not the speed of the 2010s. Things are moving very quickly. And as, uh, as Jack Welch said, when the, um, when the uh, speed of the external world is faster than the internal world, <clears throat> the end is near. And I see a lot of agencies where we know the world's changing fast and we're not going to change that fast. And the gap keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's dangerous. 
Um, signing off, <clears throat> if you have, um, I did develop a toolkit for this, my slides and um, some, um, some tools. I'll deliver it all to you if you ask for it. Um, <clears throat> so reach out to me at michael at michaeljans.com uh, or on LinkedIn, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. You've been a patient audience. Appreciate spending the time. Thank you so much. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.